you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to two passages, please. One is found in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. The second is found in the New Testament, the last book, in fact, of the Bible, of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Several weeks ago, we began a summer sermon series entitled, Our God. God is like a diamond. He is one, but he has many different facets to him, depending on how you look. And so we're moving around God, looking at different facets, different nuances, different characteristics of him that help us to know him better. Because when we know him better, we will love him more. Today, a holy God. A holy God. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, the words of the prophet Isaiah. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Revelation chapter 4. The Apostle John speaking of a worship service in heaven. A worship service that is yet to come. It's future. But he saw it. And he describes it to us, beginning with verse 6 of Revelation 4. John writes, And before the throne there was a sea of glass and like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. I wonder if these beasts were the seraphim Isaiah saw. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had the face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within, and they did not rest day nor night, but continually said, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What do you think about when you think about the word holy? Occasionally, we probably do give that word a thought or two. I doubt that whenever we think of the word holy, we think of it in a complimentary way. 
I doubt that we even give much thought to it at all. It's just sometimes a word we say just to fill in a gap in our conversation. Let me explain to you what I mean. Holy Joe, if you say that about somebody, is that generally a complimentary term? No. It's normally a derogatory term, usually applied to someone in the military who has religion. How about holy roller? That's another derogatory term, usually given to a religious person who is zealous about their faith. What about holy terror? That's also a derogatory term, usually given to a child who is wild or out of control. What about holy smoke? Holy mackerel? Holy cow, made famous by Jim Carrey, the long announcer for the Chicago Cubs. All of those are just cliche terms. When something unusual or unexpected happens and we don't know what to say, and wow doesn't seem to be the word we want to use, what we just say, oh, holy smoke, holy mackerel, holy cow. It even caught on among the city. You know there's a city in Ohio called Holy Toledo. You see, when we talk about holy, it's generally not in reference to God at all. It's a derogatory term or just a cliche, mindless, thoughtless cliche. But I want you to know something. Of all the words in the Bible that God uses to describe himself, holy is far above in number above all of them. Over 500 times, God uses the Bible as a book to reveal to us that he is holy. 500 plus times God thinks it's needful and necessary to remind us that of all of his attributes, of all of his characteristics, he is holy. In fact, Isaiah said he is holy three times. John says he is holy thrice. Now I believe Isaiah and John are both not only telling us that God is holy, because that's the whole message of the Bible pretty much about God, but I also think they're reminding us that the God that is holy is three persons. I think they're speaking of the Trinity, a reminder to us that the God who is one is three. The God who is three is one. There is one God. He's three persons. There's three persons, but one God. Bible math. One plus one plus one equals one. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is what? Holy. God the Son is what? Holy. God the Spirit is what? Holy. The Father, Son, the Spirit, they're all equal, they're all eternal, but and they're all holy. You say, but Pastor, I don't understand this Trinity. I, I, don't, I don't get it. You don't need to get it, just believe it. You try to figure it out, you'll go crazy. But if you deny it, you'll go to hell. 
God is one, God is three, God is three, God is one, just believe it. And Isaiah said he's thrice holy, John said he's thrice holy, and throughout the rest of the Bible he's called holy by multiple other authors. I want us to talk a little bit about God's holiness today. It's not something we hear much of, but we're going to talk about it. Two things I want to lay on your heart in our time together. First of all, expressions of God's holiness. Now, I told you there's over 500 plus verses in the Bible that refer to God as being holy. Let me give you just a few. Now, if you want them all, if you're willing to stay to midnight tonight, I'll give you all of them. Okay? I'm not, but if you're willing, I'll give you the list and you can go through them. But let me just give you a few. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Moses says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? With a capital, excuse me, with a small g. Who is like you, glorious in your holiness? 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. No one is holy like the Lord God. There is none beside him, nor there is there any rock, any stability, any security like our God. Psalm 99, verse 9, exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 111, verse 9, holy and reverent is his name. Revelation 15, 4, who shall not fear you, O Lord? Glorify your name, for you alone are holy. Repeatedly throughout the scriptures, God reveals himself to us as being holy, so the question now that we must ask is, what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? Well, in the broadest sense of the word, it means to be set apart, to be high and everything else will be low, to be alone and everything else will be in groups, to be Above and everything else will be below. The word holy speaks of being set apart. God is creator. He is holy and by virtue of that, he is set apart from his creation. Once again, he is high, we are low. He is alone, we're in groups. He's above, we're below. And never the twain meet, except right there. So when we talk about God being holy, we're talking about him being set apart, him being unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, unobtainable. But it's more than that. It's also talking about the fact that not only is he high and he's above and he's alone, all creation, 
but it's talking about he is perfect. He is perfect. We have never seen perfection. He is perfect. The word holiness not only applies set apart, but set apart because he's perfect. That's why he's high and we're low. That's why he's alone and we're with others. That's why he's above and we're below. Why? Because he's perfect. Absolute perfection. He's perfect in beauty. I want you to think about the most beautiful person you've ever laid your eyes on or seen in a picture. Think about, you don't have to point them out. If they're here, don't point at them. They'll be embarrassed. No matter who we would say is beautiful, all beautiful things in this world created, they all have flaws, they all have faults, they all have spots, they all have blemishes. A hairstylist and a makeup artist can do a lot to cover up. But all of us know everybody has imperfections when it comes to beauty except God in his holiness he's perfectly beautiful no nothing scars the beauty of God he's also perfect in purity the closest thing we have seen to purity in this world is ivory soap It's 99 plus something percent pure, but it's not 100%. There's nothing in this world that's 100% pure, except God himself. And he's high above this world. He has no darkness, he has no dirt, he has no tint, he has no tarnish. He's 100% pure, he's 100% beautiful. He is perfect because he is holy. He's also perfect in character. His grace is perfect. His mercy is perfect. His faithfulness is perfect. His loyalty is perfect. His promise is perfect. His love is perfect. His uh, judgments are perfect. His wrath is perfect. There is nothing about God that is not perfect. You understand that? So when God wants us to know he is perfect, what he's saying to you and to I is, I'm high above you. There is none like me. None. I am perfect. You are not, but I am. Now, what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when imperfection and unholiness has a chance to see perfection and holiness, what happens? We're going to move from expressions of God's holiness to encounters with God's holiness. Do we have any record of what happens when men I use that generically. 
But when, what happens when men and women, boys and girls, have an opportunity to come into the presence of this God that is holy, set apart, high and lifted up, absolutely perfect and always. May I say to you, those that have that encounter are never the same again. They are forever changed. Let's talk about some just real quick. Remember Moses? Moses was a great man for God. He went up to the mountain. And there he had an encounter with the holy God. Perfection met imperfection. Moses was never the same again. Moses would never be the same again. That Moses was changed forever when he came down from the mountain. The glow of God, the Shanaikin glory was all over him. When you come into encounter God in his holiness, it will put a glow on you that you will wear the rest of your life. What about Job? The Bible says of Job that he was an upright and righteous man. He was head and shoulders above the people of his day when it came to doing right and living right. But in Job 42, he met a perfect God. He met a holy God. And Job saw his sinfulness. Even though he was the Billy Graham of his day, he saw his own sinfulness before this perfect holy God. And he humbled himself and repented of his sin. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, has an encounter with a holy God. And it changes his whole perspective about service. Isaiah did not want to be a prophet. He did not want to serve the Lord in that capacity. Yet when he sees the Lord in his perfection, he sees the Lord in his holiness, what else can he say but, Lord, here I am, send me whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. What about a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus? He was on the Damascus Road. He was going to arrest Christians, try them, and put them to death. And yet on the Damascus Road, Saul of Tarsus has an encounter with Jesus Christ. He sees the Lord in his perfection, in his holiness, and he submits his life to a Savior. He gives his life to a Lord. Instead of becoming the enemy of the church, he becomes a great friend and benefactor to the church, a builder of the church. And what about John, the writer of Revelation? In Revelation chapter 1, he has an encounter with the holy God, a perfect God. Bible says in that encounter he stands up and claps. Is that what it says? 
When you go into the presence of a holy God, a perfect God, you don't stand up at all, ladies and gentlemen. You fall to your face. And you worship Him. Moses would never be the same. Job would never be the same. Isaiah would never be the same. Paul, Saul was so dramatically saved, God changed his name from Saul to Paul. Paul would never be the same. John would never be the same. Moses would carry the glow of the Lord for the rest of his days. Job saw righteousness in a way that he never saw it. He would be much more righteous the rest of his days. Isaiah became a servant to God the rest of his days. Paul made Jesus Christ his Savior and his Lord and served him the rest of his days. John fell down and worshipped. The rest of his days he worshipped God. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if we could ever see God in His perfection, if we could see God in His holiness, it would change you and I. What would it do to us? I think it would be like Moses. Others would begin to see Jesus in us. What do people see when they see you? What do they see when they see me? What do they see when they see this church? Do they see the devil? Do they see the world? Do they see you and I? Or could it be that they could see a Christ in you and I? A Christ in this church? Could it be that when they drive down Miles Road, they say, that's that Jesus church. Those people have Jesus all over them. When we see one another, we're a Jesus people. We're full of Jesus. The glow of the perfect God, the holy God, is in us and shining through us. If we ever saw Him in His holiness we would show Him to others. And they would never forget what they saw. What would happen to us if we saw this holy and perfect God? Well, like Moses, the Lord would show through us. And like Job, we would see our lives as being filled with sin and wickedness and we would confess and repent and go to a deeper level of righteousness. We live in a day when the church is looking for every loophole it can find as an excuse to sin. That's why preachers don't preach on it. They give people out. They don't say nothing about it. But I'm telling you. If we ever saw a holy God in his perfection. And saw it and gazed upon it. We no longer would be lawyers looking for loopholes and technicalities and legalities so we can smoke our cigarettes and drink our beer and walk at our pornography and say bad words. We'd give it all up. You can't be around something like that without it changing you. Oh, we'd be a people who would show Jesus. We'd be a people who 
live our lives in such a way that our standard of righteousness would make us so different, different between night and day. We'd stick out like a sore thumb in this church world today where anything goes. We too would serve the Lord. Just like Isaiah said, I don't know if I want to be a prophet. Prophets don't live long. I don't think I want to do it. And then he saw the Lord and he said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'll go where you send me. I'll do what you want me to do. All of our hesitations and reservations and excuses about why we can't serve would go out the window and we would line up to serve. We'd have a waiting list for the nursery. We'd have a waiting list for the ushers. The choir would be filled with people. Oh, what a day it would be if we saw Him in His perfection and holiness. And it so moved us that we're going to serve Him. Like Moses, would others see the Lord in us? Like Job, would our lives turn out to be much more righteous than they are now? Like Isaiah, would we have a, a compassion, a compulsion to serve Him? Like Paul, would we submit ourselves to His will? All of us love the will of God as long as the will of God lets us be who we want to be, have what we want to have, and do what we want to do. And then when that stops, we want a plan B will of God, a plan C will of God. We don't want our daughters to be missionaries and go to Africa. That's the will of God for somebody else's daughter, not ours. We don't want our sons to go into the ministry, maybe. That's the will of God for somebody else's son. We want our daughters to get a good education and be a teacher and stay home and have babies so we can see them right here. And we want our sons to be CEOs and corporate executives so they make big money and stay right here. See, the will of God is always convenient for us, comfortable for us, but when you see a perfect God high and lifted up in His holiness, like Paul, you and I will say, Lord, who are you and what do you want us to do? It'll change our worship too. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you came to church and full of energy, full of wonder, full of awe, ready for God to do something in you that is truly amazing. When's the last time that happened? Pastor, you haven't given us that kind of service in a long time. <laughs> Don't you wish I could give it to you? Don't you wish Keith could give it to you? Whenever you get a picture of a holy God who's perfect, it will change the way you worship. Instead of being a, a, a yawn and a look at the watch, you will lose yourself in worship. I'm not talking about craziness. I'm talking about an intense worship with the living God. Can you imagine what would happen 
to our nation? What would happen to our society? What would happen to our churches? What would happen to our families? What would happen to our individuals if you and I that are here today got a picture of God in His holiness, God in His perfection, we were drawn to Him as He was drawing Himself to us, and we experienced Him as Moses did, as Job did, as Isaiah did, as Paul did, as John did, and what happened to them happened to us, and we go out there, what would happen to all of these things that we're so troubled with today? What would happen if we seeked God's holiness, saw God's holiness, and showed God's holiness in a way that only He can do within us as we find it? Just asking. Just asking. A mother had sent her son away to a secular school. He had been raised in a Christian home, had attended a Christian church all of his years. But now, as so often happens, her son decided to go to a secular university for his education. In his room was three other young men, just like himself. And the mother decided to pay him a visit. Now, moms, I wouldn't recommend this, but she just dropped in on his dormitory room to see her son. And when she walked into the room, she was very disturbed what she saw. On the wall of that dormitory were sexually suggestive pictures. On the wall of that dormitory were Pictures that had a darkness, an eeriness, a bizarreness, an occultness to them. On the walls of that dorm room were girls half-dressed, things that just she wasn't accustomed to. But there they were. Everything in that mama wanted to say something. You mamas know how it is. She wanted to set it straight, but she, but she didn't say anything. She just kept her mouth shut. When she left and went home, she went shopping. Mama went shopping. And she went to a Christian bookstore and bought a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. She sent it to her son with the stipulation that I'm asking you to hang it up in your dorm room. Well, he received the picture, and because he said he would, Jesus goes up in the dorm room. He goes up surrounded by half-clad dressed women, sexually suggestive pictures, bizarreness, occultism, darkness, eeriness, you name it, his picture goes up. But guess what happens as the days go by? As Jesus is high and lifted up in a picture, 
and his perfection and holiness is gazed upon by those in that dorm room, the other pictures come down. Nobody had to tell them to do it. The work of the Spirit of God did it. And all the other pictures went down as his went up. May we be that picture of Jesus. That everyone can see it. And that we, without even opening our mouth, can bring down the sinfulness of this world. And make a difference, however long we will have to make that difference. God is holy. He wishes us to be holy. May his will be done. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.